Welcome to another episode of Talks with T, where we discuss the entrepreneurial journey, the highs, the lows, and everything in between. And my goal and hope is to inspire entrepreneurs. And in my book, everyone can be and everyone is born an entrepreneur. I'm very lucky today to have Anis Harb on the episode. He's the general manager of the MENA region for Deliveroo, which is one of the biggest food delivery businesses globally and one of the biggest in the United Arab Emirates and across other GCC markets. Anis is not only a dear friend of mine, uh, we've known each other for uh, 14, 15 years, so I do get a little bit personal in this episode. But he also has an amazing story of switching careers and industries, graduating during the financial crisis, going from corporate Amazon world to uh, pretty much a startup. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. I took a couple of things away around managing emotions and just having expectations that there will be waves of success, not trying to be in control uh, all the time and really focusing on the inputs and not focusing too much on the outcomes because there are many factors that could impact that. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. Um, please hit the subscribe button on whatever medium or platform you're listening on. And I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did. Thanks for listening. So yeah, you were talking about the uh, Deliveroo Awards. Yeah, so we're doing our first ever Deliveroo Awards now. Uh, and it's a full production. And yeah. The beauty is we're doing it only online. So okay. we can just, um, so we can film everything kind of in one day because we announce the winners. Um, it's just going to be like the logo on the screen. So I can say, and the winner is, and then the logo. So we can pre-tape everything. Yeah. So I went, we rented a villa a few weeks ago. I did the first kind of take. The second one I did yesterday. Um, I'm just like not, it's not like not my comfort zone. And, I, I'm, just, and I'm like mad at myself that like, I'm like, I'm, I, I want to give the, t the guys more, you know, like you have this whole team and everyone's filming and, uh, you know, they work with probably actors and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, every time I finish a take, I'm like, I just wish I was better. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also I, I can't be controversial because, you know, it's like the restaurants, uh, I, I can't be seen to show bias or anything. So I'm trying to be like neutral. But then the other guys come and they have more fun, the ambassadors and like they're like funny and we have some good ones. So we're. We do. Uh, we have a restaurant awards uh, next. We're announcing next week. Should be fun. How do you guys come up with that idea? Is it something you guys are doing globally, or it's? Yeah, well, we did it in the UK only. No one else, okay. nowhere else. And we're, and we're like, you know what? You know, because a lot, a lot of the restaurant awards are in person here. You, you know, you go, you yeah. get a table. It's like a restaurant industry event. I think it's just, you know, this is a bit more flexible. Um, it's only online. It's a bit it's delivery style kind of thing, right? Like, what you know, it doesn't need to be physical. Um, so we're going to see the feedback this time and see if it, how it goes. In the UK, it's, 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 you know, it's great. And, and the restaurants love it. I mean, like you know, yesterday, you know, all the finalists brought in their whole menu. There was a whole menu for like five restaurants in the finalists. So, like you just imagine the food there. Yeah. Restaurants are super engaged, you know, and it's just a fun time. We're going to announce best, best Japanese, best whatever, best uh, burger, best this, best that. And then we have restaurant of the year is a kind of more vague that's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's vague. a big one but first round is we open up to everybody for five days customers vote we've had tons of votes and then we basically come up with a short list and then from the short list um, we, put it, we put it up again for voting yeah. so it's 
customer rounds. Um, and then the, the only one that's different is restaurant, restaurant of the Year Award, where they pick the five, mm-hmm. and the judges go and they taste the food, which was what happened yesterday. And then there was like a scoring system. And based on that, um, you know, we announced, we announced the winner. Tell the story of how you ended up uh, at Deliveroo. Because you were like employee number what? Uh, so, uh, you know, high teens, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and now, today, probably the third, uh, you know, most, I guess, most tenured person at Deliveroo. Um, so I've kind of seen it from the beginning. Um, so it was I, definitely under 100. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. And how many people are at Deliveroo globally today? Probably over 4,000. Wow. 4, people. Okay. And so now, how did you, how now, did you now, slip your now, way in? Now if, you're, now if you're there, you know, over two years, you're like, you know, it's like probably 90th percentile or something, right? It's, okay. it's just, uh, it's crazy. Even when I, I think even when I joined Amazon UK, it was, you know, I had joined whatever, 2012, 2013. I think I was also like in the UK office in the 90th percentile, like by the time oh, I wow. left, it just shows you like how quickly these things can grow mm. when they catch on, right? Um, and how and how big the business has gotten since. So I was living in London. I worked for Amazon. Um, I had come up to my sort of two years there, learned so much. Um, but I call, kind of always had this uh, entrepreneurial bug where I wanted to come and, you know, uh, deploy my skills yeah. into something that I would be good at uh, and build something that was like really important to me. Mm-hmm. I'd actually delved into a few entrepreneurial projects uh, before Amazon. It didn't work out for whatever reason. And then I said, I'm going to take a step back, go learn from the best, you know, really make sure that it's very clear what I bring to the table and as opposed to being someone who just really wants to start a business, you know, feel comfortable in a skill set and then go and like from that try to build something. So after Amazon, I felt very comfortable or much more comfortable thinking about the consumer uh, and building a good consumer value proposition. Mm-hmm. So like these were like things that you really like, they really, uh, you know, you learn and, and also being very articulate of how you want to execute, like very action oriented. So mm-hmm. a lot of great skills I picked up there. And then I said, okay, I want to come, I'll come, I'm like, all right, what's next? Uh, you know, I thought about starting something in the Middle East. I knew it was really, really early. This is 2014, mm-hmm. mid 2014. Um, what you know, wh- what can I do there? What's what's interesting, and, and you know, and at the same time, Will, uh, who's you know the founder and CEO of Deliveroo, had started uh, Deliveroo in 2013, I believe. Um, and I was kind of you know in touch with him. I kind of knew what he was doing, and I I started to ask. How, how did you know Will? We went to business school together, so we met in Philly in 2010, and um, yeah, we we were friends. We were, and he also we also actually went to the same undergrad. Okay. Um, and so we did RMBA and undergrad, but different time for the undergrad. Yeah. So we had, we kind of had you know quite a bit in common just just from that, and then um, just kind of built a friendship there, and then carried over into London. Um, so I was just in touch. I had, had a sense of what he was doing, and I at the beginning I was a bit dismissive of the idea just because you know why would food delivery work in the Middle East? It's, we've been doing it for twenty years and whatever. It's kind of mature. And then they, he started getting a couple of big rounds. I think Index led the first round. I'm like, okay, w- let me just see what's w- what's kind of interesting about this model. Uh, and what I liked it was that, you know, it was a high frequency kind of model, right? You didn't you didn't need a, a massive market for it to be very valuable. Dubai is, uh, is relatively small. The UAE is relatively small population-wise versus some of these big markets. So I said, okay, if I'm going to consider something in the Middle East, I want to do something that's going to be very high frequency. 
which is, I guess, similar to also ride hailing, right? It's also high frequency, and that's why it did well. So I flew over to do research on the market. And at this point, you've quit Amazon, not... Not yet. Okay, not you're yet. still in Amazon. Not yet. I was like, I'm still... Okay, now it's time to start, like, seriously researching yeah. businesses. I went here, I was like, okay, I think this could work. Started talking to a bit of investors, gauging appetite. I, you know, very, very early, just like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Talked to a few people that I could potentially start a t- uh, launch, start a team with. Then I, I ran into, um, while I was doing my research, I ran into Faraz, Faraz Khaled, who is um, CEO of Noon, who's also a classmate. We kind of caught up and I said, you know, that's what I'm thinking. And he said, oh, you know what? This could be really interesting. Food's interesting here. I think he was between Namshi and probably Noon at the time. You know, why don't we do something together and you can be part of this like thing I'm building. I said, oh, that's kind of cool. Like I was completely open. Like I wasn't like, oh, I have to do this myself. For me, it was more about building than it was about this being mine. Like I don't, hmm. you know, uh, or me being like the CEO, founder, whatever. Why did you have kind of this urge of uh, of building? You know, like where did that urge to build come from? I, I think I've always, I've always kind of had this entrepreneurial bug mm. for whatever reason. Mm. I've always liked the idea of, of, of building something on my own. Yeah. Um, um, and I tried, I, like I said earlier, I started something while at business school called One Away, mm. which is basically using the geolocation of your phone to yeah. show you, your, you, know, you know, your friends nearby. So very similar technology to like a dating app, but we used it for like work, which was obviously a mistake. But we actually launched it. We got some money from an accelerator there. Um, wasn't happy with the traction, even though it was. Uh, we got a couple thousand users in Philly at the time. It was really fun. But that's when actually I had learned, like, actually, you know what? What am I really bringing to the table here except, like, kind of, like, a real drive to win and, and competitiveness? I need to kind of build a, a more consumer-like set, a skill set. Because um, before that, I was in banking and, like, you know, my skill set was not, you know, how do you build a business and how do you think about consumers, etc. I'm someone who just kind of needs to like see it. And when I see it, I absorb it very quickly. It's just like, that's that's my style of learning. I've, or even growing up, you know, like when I studied for tests, I would just do practice exams. I would never read the theories or read the books, right? So this is my style. So for me, like going back and doing something like Amazon was important because I was just able to see what my peers were doing, what my managers were doing, what the VPs were doing. And like, I would just like watch, right? And this is what also I did at Deliveroo. I, I watched a lot. You know, I watched Will early, in the early days, colleagues and managers, et cetera, around me. And I just kind of learned how, how they were thinking about things. Yeah, so Faraz said, you know, we can potentially do this, potentially do this together. I said, okay, cool. Um, so what's what's next? He said, maybe put some thoughts together, put a, bit, put a business plan. Let's catch up in a few days and we'll take it from there. I said, cool. So I kind of, did more research, and I actually had a flight in four days, so I was like, okay, I'll see Faraz on the third day before I head out. So I barely, like, socialized. I didn't see my friend's family at the time. I was just um, head down the, on this kind of three-page doc that I wanted to do, you know, very kind of concise to the point. I was like, this is going to be good. And then I finished it, and then I called Faraz, and he didn't pick up, and then I sent, I sent a message. I said, we should meet so I can show you my, my, pres- my, my plan. And he didn't. And he didn't pick up. I found out years later that he had been going through a lot um, at the time with the transition. So he was just very distracted. We're, you know, we're we're good friends. So it's nothing. <laughs> I tell him the story all the time. Uh, but so he never you built. You built this. You was, built this pl- business plan for, to share. To share with, share with him. But but now I had this plan, right? Yeah. So which was also good. And, and like I, I invested all this yeah. goddamn time yeah, so in exactly. this document. Exactly. So I had this document. Yeah. I kind of then I used that doc to kind of to kind of as a teaser to investors. Yeah. 
Um, so your idea at the time was I'm going to raise around and just do this yeah, on my own. Yeah. Okay. And I was going to be in all the cities and, you know, in all the golf, major golf cities and you know, GCC cities. And, and that'll be like my, that'll be, that'll be what I do. At the same time, I was actually calling, messaging Will about like assumptions. Like, hey, how do you think about throughput? How do you think about basket size? And he was being very, actually very responsive. And he, I mean, he was literally in like three suburbs of London, like not even in Manchester, like mm. not even in, I think, so for me, I was like, maybe this will be a UK, a major UK business for Will. Like maybe one day he'll go to Europe, but like I, I never my, my, you know, could have imagined that he was thinking about like the world, right? Um, so that's why I was so kind of asking him all these questions and he was, you know, but he was being very nice and then, and helping me. And then he said, you know, why don't we have a chat when you're back in London? So I, we, we, him and I had a chat, showed him my plan, showed him my thought about the business. And I remember we went to, you know, we went to like a pub in, in his neighborhood and we just kind of went through it and he was, and then he's, you know, we talked about the business for like an hour and then he said, you know, I super early in my mind, but you know, we're about to raise like a series B I think it was X, XL at um, um, 25 million. It's confidential, but why don't, you know, we, we definitely want to lose this for international, exp international expansion. Why don't you come in and run and run the Middle East? I was like, whoa, this is not what I expected. But so I went home and thought about it. And, and I, you had gone to have uh, a meet up with Will to talk about your... Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I was, I, exactly. I was like, I was like, you know, he's going to come. Do you have up. a name at the time for what you were trying to set I, up? I, I had a placeholder name, you know, okay. I knew that, you know, names are not my thing. So I would have just, I put, I think it's like, I have the, I have the three page actually. It's like, it's oh my, it was like, oh my delivery, something like really cheesy. Okay. I don't think I told him the, the name just to, for credibility purposes. Yeah, but. I don't blame you. <laughs> you wouldn't have blown anyone away with that name. <laughs> So, but I still have it actually, and it's funny. I looked at my assumptions re like recently. I was like, and it wasn't too far off with okay. what you know, which was actually quite funny. Um, with where we are today, so there's a lot of skill sets that you have that you need to be a, a CEO founder. I don't, I don't know if I had that right. I, there was some things I was very good at, some things I, wa I wasn't. So I wasn't sure that wasn't for, that was for me anyway. So I wasn't like I have to do this right. So for me, it was the priority was building. You know, that, I don't know if you ever read this. It was like an entrepreneur versus entrepreneur. Mm. What's the difference kind of thing? And entrepreneurs tend to do just a whole, like a wider spectrum of activities where entrepreneurs focus on you know, building from within like an, an infrastructure ecosystem, which is, so I kind of did something in between, right? Um, so love that. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go do this. I'll learn, I'll learn a lot. If it fails, find out. I'll, I'll start to kind of hone in my what I'm good at, et cetera, if I'll be ready for the next one if things don't go to plan. So... I ended up I ended up joining with the kind of um, with the kind of promise that I would I'd be running the, the the Middle East one day, but he's like you know we're so early why don't you come and just you know be in the London office work with the team, um, and then you can help me launch other new markets in the area. So I ended up joining the London team, and we had to get a whole new like visa sponsorship. Like it was like you know it was a it was it was really a startup, right? It was you know uh, I knew everybody in the the twenty people in the company would go finish after work. We'd go out for drinks almost every night, like you know really nice culture. Everyone was close. Um, made some really really great friends from those early days. And then I, I then I was kind of sent off to Dublin for a few months to help the business there. Um, and then a few months later, moved here to it was actually summer. It was August of 2000, 2015 moved here with a couple of people that I, I kind of poached from the London office and we started selling restaurants and figuring out, you know, how to get drivers. Um, and that was kind of the start of like the, the whole business here. I was just lucky. We, you know, we made a couple of really good hires initially that was just complimentary and, and 
and the business kind of started from there. Yeah, I mean, 2015 in terms of where the region is uh, from, you know, quote unquote, tech startup hub is really early, right? Um, And not a lot of companies that started in 2015 are, are still around. So what was that experience like trying to set up in Dubai, which you know, has come a long way mm-hmm. supporting entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back then was, that wasn't at the top of the local agenda. Yeah, it was really a handful. Um, we had a, we had a, we had an investor um, called Hummingbird that had made a couple of investments here. Um, I think it was Marka VIP at the time, who was very helpful to like kind of showing me around. I, I was kind of, I was, I guess I was very, two things surprised me. I think one is it was, very early, so you felt like really there was like the, the ecosystem was tiny, and you were like, "Oh, is this really going to take off in the Middle East and in, in Dubai?" So I wasn't like, "Oh, uh, you know, I, 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 I was a bit, you know, there was a couple of big investors, a couple of big entrepreneurs, you know, a few, few companies, but it didn't feel like okay, this is like heating up." Um, but two is I felt like everyone was very supportive. So you know, when this investor introduced me to to Marka, the guys that were very helpful. Obviously, I had my old classmates. You know, I met with. I think Mudasir at the time, I met with Uber, just kind of, these were like, you know, just understanding the landscape. Um, and everyone was just helpful. And I, and I think that's kind of, I've carried that trend on. Anybody who needs sort of help setting up, I always try to, you know, make time. I think the ecosystem is just, it's friendly generally here and it's gone, it's gone much, much better. Uh, but that, I think it's been static. It's, been, it's gone much, much bigger, but the friendliness has always been there, I think. Mm. So yeah, I didn't really feel like I was part of like a startup ecosystem. I was kind of just doing my own thing. Um, and you know, disrupting in a lot of our own ways, uh, right? But at the same time that you know, Checkout.com was starting here, like all these kind of early guys that would you know that I would I would met those early days that we yeah. have really good relationships now. We kind of grew together. It was it was great. Yeah. And um, what was it like? I mean, there's no such thing as kind of a driver ecosystem. You know, most restaurants here had delivery. Yeah. Or many restaurants had delivery, yeah. but they used you know their their fleet, and so. What was that experience like actually going out there and getting this thing off the ground? Yeah, the rider, the, the, the idea of agencies employing yeah. riders and then and then working with, with aggregators, I mean, that did not exist. Mm. I think we, we scraped together 20 riders through one agency that we had met at the time. We were very supportive, um, but really stressful. Actually, to de-risk that, we actually started a agency ourselves, and the plan was to employ our own writers directly, in case that it, the ecosystem never took off. Mm. So we actually at some point had a hundred writers on our own visas because you know, you know, we, I had two jobs, right? I ultimately I had to ensure we had writer supply, and I had to ensure that we had restaurant supply. So those were like the kind of two nuts and bolts of like our business. So they risked that by with 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 potentially our own agency, and 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 but then ultimately like. We saw so many agencies come up. A lot of ex-riders started their own agencies. It was it was really nice to see like you know the, the, the entrepreneurship that we kind of unleashed within that within that, yeah. within that world. The restaurants, I think it was quite difficult because to, you know they weren't used to paying for logistics, so and they didn't know what we were bringing to the table because you know they're like oh you're a Dubai startup um, you know we we we've seen this kind of model before you know. No one really knew the, the service differentiation we would we would bring eventually. So there's a yeah, lot. Yeah, I mean, of I can imagine like the pitches. Yeah. I'm going to bring you new 
new customers. I'm going to help the logistics infrastructure, but you had no track record. You yeah. had no users. Exactly. So exactly. <laughs> what exactly. are you pitching yeah. at yeah. that stage? We, we really just had, we had to focus on, we really just had to focus on service. We were like, look at our technology and I would demo and sometimes the demos wouldn't work and I would be sweating in these, in this August, yeah. you know, like I was like showing them how our app would work. It was all connected. So I think we had to really sell on like the tech um, element and ultimately that was our differentiator with these restaurants. And then eventually, and then, so once we had, once we got enough a critical mass of restaurant supply and riders, customers came because either we were bringing on restaurants that didn't offer delivery. I think our first kind of big one was Busaba. Mm. And then they came on because um, our service was differentiated. They could track the rider and that was very novel and blah, blah, blah. At the time there was nobody else. To, actually, there was a company called Fedora that, had, that, that was owned by Delivery Hero. They had, they had shut down at some point uh, into the first year, but they were also the same. So it was kind of both of us doing it. Mm. So here we were like two like kind of startups battling it out in a market that wasn't really ready, but we weren't sure even was ready for what we had to offer. Mm. So it was kind of, you know, all very stressful. Yeah, um, and I'd imagine sometimes in the journey of, uh, of every entrepreneur, when you're starting a new idea, there's moments of like, is this even going to work in the early days, right? Mm. And... Uh, and so did you face any of those thoughts? Did you kind of have any of those questions in your mind? Or did you have full conviction that this makes sense, it's going to work? I knew there was a niche for us because I was convinced that today, even that customers will, will adopt something, even if it's a little bit better than what they have, as long as they can try it. So, And I was also seeing attraction in London at the time. I know what's in the market. I know consumers will like what we have more. The question is how how big will that that be? So we had a very we actually had one of the slowest starts out of all markets because because of the maturity of the industry here. Um, so you know when we were doing like the, the the kind of country rankings, like the UAE was actually at the was at the bottom for quite a while, and then we kind of had a hockey stick a little bit later. You know I had deep conviction in our consumer value prop and where we we're headed. Uh, I just didn't know how big it would be. And uh, so I guess L London, the UK operation helped give some conviction that consumers would definitely be willing to use a service like this. What, what was the moment where you're like, holy smokes, this is going to be massive? I think the traction in London was, was I was, you talking the UAE or just generally? UAE. I think we had this moment where, so after we kind of had our first hockey stick, we were kind of capturing a lot of the, I would say a certain segment of the market that were kind of early adopters to Deliveroo. And we kind of, we kind of captured that and we were, we were growing quite nicely. What, what kind of eluded us, I think, was more mainstream. And I think there was this moment, I think, in 2020, right after COVID, um, we had a couple of exits in the market. I think Uber Eats had left the market. Zomato was bought by Delivery Hero. And then we kind of saw this, like, really big change. Uh, and then we started going way more mainstream. Just by what do you mean by mainstream? Like, we just kind of captured the mass market of the, okay. of the, UA of the UAE. And we saw this with the restaurants that were being ordered. It stopped, it stopped being, for example, um, only, you know, healthy salad places started being, you know, your mass market QSRs, for example, become, became a much bigger part of our business. Mm. And that's when you know that it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, so then it became, okay, we're here to compete for, you know, number one in the market now. And, that's, mm. and that was, that kind of hit us during that time. Wow. So like from 2015 to 2020, you still had question marks. I didn't, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure we could, we would win outside of that kind of segment, the initial kind of um, more premium, more 
kind of uh, uh, maybe catering more to um, you know um, a, a more a, a, you know more expat segment of the market, etc. Um, yeah, but I, I wasn't, uh, and and it was just you know we everyone kind of became you know everyone kind of became uh, all the big players here became kind of affiliated with like certain segments that they could like they kind of like owned. Yeah. And we didn't know we can crack out of it. And then I think after that, we were, you know, and then it became, okay, we, we can. And, and, and the, you know, we're executing well. The team did a great job. And we just started going after different segments uh, effectively and, and became a much bigger business. During that time, uh, from like kind of 2015 to 2020, does that, does that thought sit in the back of your mind? Like, do we have the scope to be number one? Do we have the ability to to kind of crack out of the segment, our niche, if you want to call it mm -hmm. that, does that kind of gnaw at you in the back of your mind or or do you kind of keep it at bay and say, you know, we'll figure it out as it comes? Definitely top of mind. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, as a business, we plan, you know, we plan, we do a lot of kind of 12-month planning, three-year planning, five-year planning. We're just always thinking about, you need to, you know, what's the vision? What's the vision? And the vision's always, you know, be number one, be number mm -hmm. one. So you have to think about this. Mm -hmm you have to think about what it's going to take to, to get there. Does that create some stress for you, kind of having that thought in the back yeah. of your... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's the pace of this, the intensity of this business, given the aggression and the money in it, um, super intense. It's extremely stressful. The interesting part is balancing that continuous drive to be number one or that drive to have an audacious goal, balancing that with the amount of stress it can create is an interesting balance to manage. And so for for me, you've always come across as someone who's even keeled, like there's no extreme highs or lows, at least from the outside looking in. And is that observation valid in your in your view? I think the stress I felt was kind of, I guess, there's two ways uh, I, would, I would get stressed, uh, especially in those in, in those times. I think one is just I wanted to win, and there's so many things outside your control, you know, with that, and and so how would restaurants react to something, or consumers react to something, or are you doing the right thing? So it's just this idea that, that that desire to win, and the work was endless, right? So it was always on your mind. So I was always kind of thinking about how how do I how do I win? And then there was also the people element, you know. So you're you're kind of you know you you really want the output to to drive you to number one. So you're thinking about all those inputs to like get you there. And then you're thinking about, and then related to that is the team. So, um, you know, manage, you know, hiring, managing difficult conversations. Are you inspiring your team? Are you, is your team performing at a high level? So all these kind of things would kind of keep me up. I think over time was really important is I started to let go of that feeling of like wanting to be in control all the time. Um, and just focus very much on the inputs and things I could control and really being able to step back from, you know, just con uh, controlling those outputs. You know, I think that was a skill that I, I, I learned in this role and I applied it actually to other parts of my life, whether it's, you know, um, you know, through, through outside of work, right? I think that's just a, a good skill to have, um, trying, you know, being able to let go of, of things because, you know, you, you know, you, Ultimately, you know, you have a certain 
way you you want things to pan out whether in life or work etc and 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 then if you don't it, you know it agitates the mind if you don't get there and, and it's just like you know you have these loops and you get anxiety and blah blah so i think being able to kind of let go of that has, has been really important i think related to that i think it's also important to have the mindset where to expect there to be sort of waves of success you know two or three things will go my way one yeah. thing won't and just have that expectation because if you expect it then it just doesn't doesn't hit you enough. It's not like, oh my God, this thing happened to me, right? So or happened to my team or happened to the business. So you kind of, you take your wins, you take your losses and you just kind of let that kind of wave come in and out. And that I think very helpful in sort of managing uh, stress. When, when it comes to kind of with the team, I think it's important to understand yourself, you, to really take stock of how you react to certain situations and why. Is there any ego in your decision-making or... If you feel something is off, why do you feel that off? So I just like, think it's it's constantly like taking stock of your emotions, understanding yourself, and then being very true to who you are, right? So if some situation with people gets to you, understand why that is and work on that and, and identify that or discuss that and be direct. The idea of being extremely self-aware has come up a few times in some of the things you've said. It's something I've only really developed like Honestly, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be quite frank with uh, with myself, it's something I've only really developed in the past two years. Where I'll analyze the way I reacted in a meeting mm. to understand why, right? So let's let's say something happens in a meeting. Before I would just walk away and just carry on with my day. Mm-hmm. Just be like, oh, that was a bad meeting, yeah. right? Yeah, it was a bad meeting, and then I'd say because the team didn't come prepared or. We didn't have all the answers that we should have had before even walking into the meeting Mm -hmm. or even getting bad news, right? Being frustrated by it without really understanding why am I frustrated by the bad news. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's really changed only in the past year or two where if something happens, I can't really identify when this trigger or this light bulb went on. But now when something happens, I'll actually start to think about my internal mechanism Mm -hmm. of how I reacted to it and... Uh, why did I react that way? Or what am I, is, is there something behind the first layer of the onion? Yeah. And that to a large extent is is what you're saying you've you've done. Has it always been that way for you? Did something trigger? Yeah, I, th- I think it's similar to you. I think it's, I think it's probably, you know, in the last two to three years, but very similar. It's that self-awareness. I, th- I think it's understanding yourself, but also, and then I think extension of that also what triggers other people, you know, and being able to kind of understand their motivations and their actions. You're constantly thinking about your, you know, evaluating yourself, evaluating your surroundings. And I think what's really, really, really important is that you're very true to who you are and whatever leadership style you have is consistent and people know what they're, they're subscribing to. With me, I think from the very beginning, I tried very hard to create a culture where, you know, ideas win. So super merit, uh, merit, merit, meritocratic, is that even a word? Merit- Meritocracy. Meritocracy Meritocratic Meritocratic Yeah I'm not sure if that's a real word okay. But it is today officially <laughs> Signed and stamped Where are you Webster? <laughs> I uh, And an environment where um, That was very kind of Open and transparent Where people can complain to me about, can, can, can talk to me about anything um, And my decision making is always very transparent for people and I've always been very consumer obsessed. So that's kind of my, I think that's kind of the style that I've sort of had with people. I have things that I probably 
I really want to, you know, I'm still working on, etc. But like, you know, that core for me has been consistent. Consistent. That's kind of helped me alleviate a lot of stress and anxiety managing, you know, big teams and people. It's because I became much more comfortable. This is my style, and this is my, and I kind of finesse a few aspects of it. But I wouldn't try to become a whole new person. I'm not someone who goes into the office and tries to do like a highly motivational like war speech, right? That's just not my style. But my style is X, Y, and Z, so people know what they're getting, and you know, and 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 they help me evolve that style maybe naturally, right? But um, that I and I think coming to terms with that, because you know, I was a very sort of young, like inexperienced manager when I first started seven years ago, and so now you know now we have a team of 350 people, um, so. I was always not very confident about you know each kind of step, um, but feel much much better today um, because of because of that kind of realization um, that um, that you just got to you, you have to understand yourself and be true to true to, true true to your style. What are some of the things you're working on? I view that we're all like on a sports team together, right? And I view my work. I have a specific role in that sports team that gets more attention. But I still, I, I really believe that it's as valuable as, you know, more junior, you know, a junior person on the team. And we just have a different role to play on this team. So for me, sometimes I don't appreciate that sometimes people would, you know, want to hear from me more or, or want to hear what I say more, right? My role, actually, one of my key roles is, for example, is I help, you know, with decision making, I help problem solve. And ultimately, like, I'll help the direction of the way the business is moving. That's my role, right? But I may not be good at sales, for example, and you're doing, you know, you're doing the sales role and you're, but the salesperson maybe wants to hear from me more and like once, wants that. And for me, I'm always kind of low key and I'm just doing my role and, yeah. and I, and I, and, and sometimes, so I want to be, I have to work on Being a bit more, more visible, visible and, and, and giving people, because that's what people want, yeah, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of how, that's some of the things. That's one of the things I'm, I'm working on. One thing I saw a manager do really well when I was at GE was um, he he wasn't very. He's now actually the COO at uh, Twilio, actually. But one thing he did really well was had that realization and then adapted it to his style. And he was he enjoyed reading and writing, so he'd send out his thoughts in a really well written, really well structured email once every two weeks, and that made everyone feel anywhere in the region made everyone feel like they were spending actually time with him because the, the note would be somewhat personal. It'd also have some stuff around the business. That's really so, great. Um, and so I think there's even ways to adapt how you're visible. Um, I think that's great. And I, that, that comes back to my point earlier, like, you know, keep your style, but, yeah. you know, and then, but also, you know, do what you need to as well. Right. So, and this is something that I, I if people want it, I have to figure out how to do it within my style. Yeah. Um, and that's something um, but I think that's a really good example. And I, I've seen other people do that, uh, you know, in, in our business, um, in, in other markets. Those people are actually a little bit less comfortable, a bit more comfortable sharing. And like, you know, some people are less private than others. And some people are very open. I've seen yeah. people like be incredibly open with how it's going with their kids and their families. And, you know, and I'm, I'm like, whoa, like, would that work for me? I don't know, maybe, you know, so you kind of, you kind of see these different examples and, you say, okay, maybe this, maybe I'll try it or something. But point is, I guess, to the audience especially, is that it has to work for you as well. Yeah. Like the right things to do, and but but then it has to kind of fit into your style. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also easier for people with families to share what yeah. they're doing on the weekend versus you know 
uh, single male in his you know mid thirties uh, on, <laughs> on what he's up to on the weekends. You said something around being focused on what's in your control and managing those. I mean, what what are examples of things that you used to focus on you no longer focus on because they're out of your your control? I think about it as, as inputs and outputs, right? So I think inputs are the things that drive a certain result. What are examples? I don't know. Say you're in a restaurant negotiation. What you can control is doing the work to come up with the best deal, you know, doing the right things to craft the right relationship or whatever it is. But ultimately, the and, and you do your best at that, those are the inputs. And the output is, does it work? Do you get the deal or whatever? And I would, you know, previously, this is, I mean, this is a small example, but I would previously, you know, the result of, of an action would, 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 I would think about the output the entire, you know, during the process and, you know, until I get the actual outcome and it would, it would, would stress me. Um, now I focus everything on the inputs and the output be, be what it may, right? Even, even say, for example, we need a product, we need a product change and, you know, we have an engineering bandwidth issue in, in the UK, for example. Um, I would do the inputs for me is make the case, um, you know, align stakeholders, you know, get the right kind of people behind me and then, and then, and try to get it on the roadmap. And if it works great, right, that's the, out, the output. Cause then I can, cause I think that the output will influence the consumer or our business in some way. If not, I wouldn't, I won't, I wouldn't get stressed about it. I understand that this is the business. The business is making, it's not just me in the business. There's a collection of people making decisions and I don't always get, I'm not always going to get the output that I want. And so I, you know, I, I focus on the next set of inputs that I need to deliver, to deliver output. That's been important for, to kind yeah, of, I mean, it's down. a massive observation because I think, um, focusing on the outcome is what actually creates the stress and the anxiety, yeah. right? Stress and anxiety created by our own perception of what something should look like in the future yeah, yeah. right which to your i mean this is all stoic philosophy right which is uh that's out of your control and focus on on what's in your control i subscribe to that a lot yeah. um yeah. delivery was by no means your your first uh entrepreneurial uh endeavor i know that you had at least two or three Shots at it, one at a e-commerce and yeah. So after I finished, I did the kind of two years of banking out of out of undergrad. And that was kind of it was two thousand seven. So that's sort of what everyone everyone. Who it's crazy to think that like pre twenty ten or twenty twelve, maybe maybe even twenty fifteen. Before that time, like to be the perception of what it meant to be successful and making money was to go into banking, 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 consulting. Right? Banking, consulting, law, were like, you know, we're like... You've made it. If you, if the, you got those jobs... The, the smart kids did that, yeah. right? Like, that was kind of the idea. Yeah. And I mean, think about it. I mean, 2007 was when the iPhone came out, right? That was, that was my graduating year. Yeah. Um, I was like, there's no way... I'm, I'm, I'm a BlackBerry user forever kind of thing, you know? And then <laughs> you, had this, like, you kind of had these wars where... BBM until yeah, I so die. I think, you know, the way you look at, like... I mean, there's definitely a lot of luck in this, this kind of batch of people now that, you know... Um, senior in e-commerce fields, or um, you know, whatever there, there was a, there was a luck factor, right? Because or timing factor for say, right? Like we were in this, we were in this window of like things were just starting to happen on the internet, especially e-commerce, which is you know what what I got into. Um, before that, it was it's virtually impossible, right? So 
2009, finished banking. I was like, oh, Groupon had was starting to come out. I was like, okay. So after banking, I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not very good at this. I need to, you know, I want to, uh, and I, I kind of said two things after that experience. I said, I'm not going to choose a job for, for money, number one. And I, I need to change, you know, industries or fields. And what, the, what, what made you think you weren't good at the, the banking gig? It just wasn't for me. I mean, this, uh, you know, theoretical work where there's no execution. You couldn't see the, you couldn't really, you know, you're doing advisory, etc. Like for me, like deal making was just not, my, you know, I wanted to actually, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to get like my hands dirty and like operate and stuff. You know, that was kind of important. I wanted to negotiate. I wanted to kind of build something with my hands. Like I, I really needed to feel, the, I needed to feel what I was building. And consulting and banking, um, you know, and to, cons- consulting definitely is more theoretical advisory. Banking depends on what you get into. And then yeah. private equity could be more interesting, actually. Um, I think it's a stepping stone for a lot of uh, people who do, who do banking. In 2009, 10, I started working um, with, a, with a really good friend of mine, Hassan, who, who, who basically um, founded this business um, called Team Buy in Canada, which was the first Groupon-style group buying company there. And I started spending a bit of time with him before business school. And so I was in Toronto for a bit working with him. And it was like super exciting. It was like the first time I've seen, you know, he built something really, really cool there. Like, you know, big team, um, all young, everyone's wearing T-shirts. It just felt like, you know, and I came from this like banker world. So I was like, wow, this is entrepreneurial. It seems really fun. I love this. But at the same time, I also felt like, where can I add value? 24 years old. I only have a financial skill set. Was very close to that business for some time. Then ultimately tried my own thing. Out of, we talked about earlier the one away which was the entrepreneurial that that app which should have been a dating app that wasn't and then i so it was like linkedin tinder linkedin tinder or social yeah or like a fa- it was a facebook facebook find my friend linkedin kind of thing right yeah um and the idea was that if you and i were in the same room um and we weren't friends on facebook we would get an, a comment saying we were, if we had common friends it would highlight that and i can go back like, hey and the whole premise was that you meet most of your, you meet a lot of, you meet a lot of people through friends. Let's just make it easier for you. That was the whole principle. Yeah. But then after that, I was like, okay, you know what? After that, I was like, okay, was I really good at that? Like being like a f- founder, CEO, uh, or do I need some? Do I need to go back and kind of learn? So that kind of motivated me to go t- to Amazon and, and and learn from the best and what they were doing at the time. They were in a few verticals. Even there was also kind of early for Amazon. This is ten years ago. Mm. Stock price was two hundred dollars, I think, at the time. That was kind of the motivation that, that that led me there, and then, then I was kind of ready for that next step, and that's kind of when I went in with the, the whole idea of starting a delivery app. It was when I had conviction in in, in my skill set, and that I knew I could add value either as a founder or as a as a partner to uh, to someone building something. You know, I alluded to this earlier. There's clearly kind of this theme of you continuously being self aware of what you're capable of and where. There are gaps that you need to fill. Where did that come from? That self, almost brutally uh, honest self-awareness. I come from a household where we were, you know, where it was a t- you know a lot of love, but we were very open with like where we could be better. And I, you know, I was extremely competitive, whether it was in tennis growing up or, or academics. And I always wanted to win, but I was always like, okay, how did you do? Like how, trying to learn from how other people did things. Mm. And I was very open to people telling me, like, actually, I would have approached this differently. And I think seeking feedback and being open to criticism is an incredibly, incredibly, like, 
you know, I don't know if it's a skill or what you call it, right? Just like a attitude almost, right? It's just mm. a, um, people I really in, that inspired me also be very humble. I think one of them is like Will, our, is our founder, founder CEO. I also watched him in the early days, and who's also very true to his style. He had a very good humility around around what he was good at and what he wasn't. Uh, I think that was for me a really good like, lesson. He was also very very good at giving people the space to execute and trusting them, and that was also something that helped guide me because I saw how motivating it could be to people with high potential when you gave them space to to operate. How much oversight do I give this person? But really, when you give people space, and they're and they're and they're talented, you'll be surprised at what they they can deliver. And in the moment you find yourself having to spend too much time with that person, or they're not, then you know maybe it's not the right, it wasn't the right person. That's also again it comes back to your style. Like if you're comfortable doing that, then you're lucky because that's the situation where you have a very motivated team that can that will grow and execute well. And 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 um, I think that's that's a good place to be in. So, you, so your hypothesis is the self-awareness came from as a younger version of yourself, always being open to getting feedback and questioning how you can get better on the tennis court or in school or in yeah, one of these facets. That built a trait in me that allowed me to, to, to always welcome other people's opinion. Even to this day, by the way, I'm, I'm always, I always ask people, like, we're making a decision you know, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think, and then kind of like, just kind of thinking through how people, because you're always going to miss stuff, right, and so, feeling comfortable asking people for their uh, their opinions, and then being transparent about the decision making, but I think that's, when I was young, I kind of had that attitude, but then I think being self-aware, you, that's kind of a, an adult thing, right, like, you, you start reading more, you start talking to people, you know, you and I have spoken a lot about self-awareness, you know, I think you're probably, I would say you, you probably started working on it much earlier than I did, and then things just start to click, you know, and, and like, especially when you're, especially when, when you're kind of, you kind of need to be in my, in my like role. It's like, there's a little bit of a pressure to, to evolve because if you don't, you know, whatever, you could burn out or you could not be a good manager or you can, you know, you want to have a good team, whatever it is. Right. So there is that kind of the catalyst that, you know, helped me like continue to get better at that uh, and, and work on that. But it is work. It is work. Yeah, 100%. And, and, yeah. But it's also academic. Like, I mean, you, you know, there's books that, you know, show you how your mind works and mm. how you've been predisposed to see the world yeah. is, 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 you know, is really important, but it, it is academic, right? And yeah. once you kind of get over that line, there's so much more you can unlock. Um, and because and, and, you see people sometimes, right, like who are in a rut in how they think about, you know, they get agitated because they see the world a certain way, but they're not sure why they see the world a certain way. And so that kind of cycle continues yeah. to repeat, right? Mm. Um, but if you know that actually I can, I can change that, I can work on the root cause and that, and that will make me a more happier, lighter, more fulfilled person mm. that carries over in work and in your, and your, with your family and your friends. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I'm trying to learn more from, uh, from you is having the right work-life balance. I think I've always had this perception that it's only about the hours. I think it's true at times and at times it's not it's not necessarily true like i think i don't know how to turn on and off the button of working my butt off and the reality is i probably overestimate how important i am to the business at this scale right people are executing 
99% of what needs to get executed and my contribution is a drop in the ocean compared to the efforts they they have and so how have you been able to always maintain that right balance between working hard but then also finding the space to you know nurture your own passions or spend quality time with with people around you i think if you want to do something in for the long run i think as a baseline it's good to set working hours right so let's assume you say it's nine to six nine to seven and that's your baseline so you work in those hours now when you go over that you have to have a very set set, set of criteria of why you would go over that it's a mindset so it's just being very very conscious about what you're, what's what's happening after. Because I think the work never stops. You know, I could work till midnight every night if I wanted. There's just endless things to read, etc. I'll do that when there's a critical input and when there isn't. I tell other people in the office as well, you know, you know, stop working past this time. If we have something that's critical that needs to be launched, you know, by this date, we're all going to, you know, we all have to put in, put in those extra hours. But I think it's those should be the exceptions, not the norm, especially outside of the first, you know, Two, two to three years where you're where you're the entrepreneur doing everything right when you have the team and really that's why you have the team right and if you find yourself having to do things after seven eight nine ten then i would question your org and your team right so so i think you should work towards that so i tell that also, also the people in the team in, in my team it's like you know if you're working so hard let's re- let's review your org do you need more help right because i want to get people to that this is what you should work in, and and so so people will you know have longevity in the business. That's kind of what we're working towards. I know that to a large extent, you're only getting started. When it comes to Deliveroo, uh, there's still there's still a lot to do, and you know I'm super proud, not just as a fellow entrepreneur, but also as a as a friend to see everything you've accomplished. Um, I remember when you first launched you were trying to test the amount of time it would take from restaurant, basically the whole, you know, delivering in under 30 minutes. Mm. And so you used me effectively as a guinea pig for free food. Mm. And so uh, I have recollection of the early days as, as you guys were getting started. So I'm super proud of you on, on what you've accomplished and what the team's accomplished. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of respect and, and pride there as a, as a friend. Thank you. I actually remember. I remember you placing those test orders, and you going over budget. I was like, I was like, did you really have to spend two hundred dirhams on a test order? You're like, oh, what? I thought it was there was no budget. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you hadn't. Pre- set, I uh, you didn't specify yeah. a preset. Yeah, that was my and, mistake. And, and you know, with me, you that have was, that to uh, you have mistake. to define the boundary. <laughs> couple of things i heard you say um in the conversation today that I'm, I'm really taking away one is focus on what's in your control and don't stress about the outputs uh the second is really expect wins and losses they're inevitable and so having the expectation around both will happen will really help manage uh, anxiety and ensure that there's an even keel of emotion I've had a lot of fun uh, doing this with you. So thanks a lot for taking the time. Thank you. It was a lot of fun and uh, really proud that you're uh, that you're doing this. This is uh, this is obviously. I mean, you have a full time job, and um, 
you know, really proud that you're actually able to spend the time and do something like this. So well done to you. My man.